adding killer food and beverage to your haunt is a great way to boost revenue. And these trends from the Bar and Restaurant Expo will get you started. That's coming up on today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring you the news, information, and education you need to prepare for Halloween. Today, I'm playing a special from our sister show, Green Tag Theme Park in 30, hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. In this special, we break down trends from the annual Bar and Restaurant Expo and discuss how you can incorporate them into your attraction. And as a reminder, we used to air Green Tag here in this feed, but we no longer do that. It has a standalone feed, so please subscribe to it wherever you find podcasts. Just type in Green Tag Theme Park in 30, anywhere you find podcasts, or go to greentaggedshow.com. We also have a new YouTube channel if you, for some reason, want to stare at our faces. Okay, here's the show. From our studios in Los Angeles and Abu Dhabi, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip. My co-host is Scott Swenson. And Scott, today, let's do something special. I thought we would talk about takeaways from the Bar and Restaurant Expo, which happened March in Vegas, March 28th through 29th, 26th through 29th, sorry. I did happen to go there this year. One of my clients paid for me to attend and to attend and kind of study what was going on. So I'm going to give all that value to our listeners for free. Wow, you are a generous human being, Philip. Yeah, I hope the client isn't listening, but <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, I bet they are. I bet they are right now. <sighs> <sighs> doubtful, doubtful. So anyway, uh, so, so okay. I, I know we have listeners for out there. We really appreciate you. Yes, I won't, I won't name names. but So what happened? So Philip, what happened at the, at the restaurant show? So... I'll, I'll talk about some takeaways from the main keynote presentation first. You know, it's not that large of a show and they didn't do too much. They had like a main keynote, plus they had some classes and then the exhibit hall, which had food and, and all sorts of cool stuff. But I thought we'd break it down. I'll talk about some of the information from the keynote and then some of the information from the classes and then some of the, I think, top products that I found. But something that came up in the keynote a lot is something that you will be familiar with authenticity which that sounds so familiar doesn't it i love it so uh, yeah the keynote speaker who is a, a very popular chef who worked on a lot of the stuff in vegas there he really talked about how this movement into authenticity and then he kind of gave a breakdown of some of the food trends so not just as in authentic dining experiences and really what he was talking about really jived with what the executive chef at SeaWorld talked about in our special that we did, the IAPA Trade Summit special, just about representing different cultures in an authentic food palette type of way. That's kind of what he was talking about. Um, he And then in terms of his trends, he talked about how vegetables are cool and Korean food is, is cool and Asian food is coming into it. But basically this whole idea that vegetarian options are becoming more mainstream and should be available he also talked about ready-to-drink items being becoming more popular, like less stigma. You know, there used to be the stigma about like boxed wine, <laughs> where people kind of thought it was a a lesser type of thing. But he talked about the ready-to-drink items losing that losing that stigma. He talked also about sustainability, another thing that we have talked about, and how consumers are looking a, a little bit more for sustainability in in terms of not just the less plastic and that type of thing, but also a little bit of sustainability in terms of how they're 
how they're being served and, you know, like less disposable products if they can, you know, less disposable trash if they can help it and more uh, busing and all that, which again reminds me of going to Disney and, you know, their, their quick service stuff being served in the new Docking Bay 7 on actual actual plates that you return. There's not, you don't just don't toss it away. I mean, all these things are, are here. Uh, he talked about Birria being a big, uh, kind of kind of like this this year's big thing is that birria, which is a type of beef and the ways you can do it, but it's it's a big trending food, which was a menu item at SeaWorld. Uh, and the chef did talk about that as well. Uh, and then also the trend towards non-alcoholic spirits, uh, basically uh, saying this is an emerging trend, but that a lot of the younger generation, they don't, they, they want the, the same drink, but they want it to be non-alcoholic, which is more complicated than it seems on its surface because you want it to taste the same without the alcohol. And that's kind of a new technology, which I, I met several booths actually trying to specialize in that to create a spirit that tastes with the tastes and works the same and that could be added in in a one-to-one -one basis into a drink is 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 uh, so that's really what we're looking at not just not just a virgin xyz like a virgin daiquiri where you can't tell because there's so much sugar but really getting into these virgin drinks virgin cocktails that have to have a an alcohol substitute so that is, that was the first section which was the trends and where we are and I'm thinking, what do you think of that? You know, I, I mentioned all the allusions to the previous thing, but what do you think? So, so many of the things that, that you've just mentioned as trends are things that are commonplace here mm -hmm. in the UAE. Um, the, the mocktails, yep. uh, the idea, let's start there and we'll work backwards. The idea of mocktails is something mainly because culturally uh, there are, the, until just recently, it has been very difficult to get actual alcohol. And to this day, um, alcohols like liquor stores here are licensed and um, there are certain certain people who are unable to go to them uh, because of their affiliations, mm -hmm. because of the, 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 the government's um, religious feelings on alcohol. Um, there are now on Yaz Island, there are quite a few bars and restaurants that do serve alcoholic beverages. However, culturally, there are a bunch of people who simply don't drink. So the idea of mocktails, you will go into even a, a, a bar, half the menu will be mocktails. Mm. Uh, they will be the, the, the faux oh, cocktail, cool. the adult version. Um, so as you say, not the, not the virgin daiquiri mm -hmm. or the, you know, uh, but, but truly mocktails that have the same level of, uh, of mixology mm -hmm. involved mm -hmm. um, in order to create something that is unique and flavorful and and worthy of consumption yeah. without that, that, That's a really good way um, to put so, it, you know, that basically that have the same level of mixology involved. I think that's exactly what he was talking about, where you can't just phone it in. You have to think about creating it so that it tastes the same and also the experience, again, the authentic experience of mixing it looks the same. Right, and 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 they they are they are beautiful when they come out. They you you cannot tell the difference as to who is consuming alcohol and who is not. At least not until about the third <laughs> drink, um, and their behavior changes. But uh, so so that is a thing that is already part of the entertainment culture, the dining entertainment culture here um, in the UAE, from what I've examined. Um, as far as sustainability, uh, it's it's interesting here that in uh, one of the large grocery stores. Um, 
in the in the, the Carrefour store here in Abu Dhabi, um, as you leave, they have a hydroponic garden which is growing their herbs. So it's very interesting to see the the farm to table. Food in general here has significantly fewer preservatives than it does in the United States. Um, you can tell because you can look at the at the labels of even prepackaged food, and they're significantly shorter mm-hmm. uh, here than they are uh, for things that are are produced in the states. So that that level of of farm to table or freshness or sustainability or however you want to position it is already very much part of the culture here. And then when it comes to plastics and one use items um, in the project that I am working on, they have started testing their culinary uh, options and offerings. And one of the, one of the restaurants, which is a, a grab and go um, is, is utilizing actual plates Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, they're glass yep. plates or cer- ceramic plates, uh, actual silverware uh, that is collected and, and washed and returned. Um, and then even in the malls, you know, when you go and get when you go and get ice cream, it doesn't come in a plastic cup with a plastic spoon. Uh, it comes in a cardboard cup with a uh, with a paper spoon. And that has required a great deal of uh, architecture to make it so it doesn't just collapse when you when you start to eat it um and then the the most fun for me and i don't know whether you saw this at the show or not but one of the things that i've just started to discover with a couple vendors here is uh sugar Mm -hmm. straws so for things like a slushy or um so they're straws that are literally made of compressed and compacted sugar so after you finish your tasty sugary drink you add your extra shot of sweetness or or bouncing off the wallness um, by eating the straw. Or if you even if you throw it out, it disintegrates completely the moment water, or well, not the moment, but shortly after water hits it, once it's submerged in water for any length of time, it just disintegrates into sugar or sugar water. So all of these trends, or not all, but many of these trends are already in wide scale implementation here uh, in, in on Yaz Island, which again is the next... What, as, what they're hoping to be is the next level yep. of, of theme attractions and, and, and not just from a theme park standpoint, but just from a uh, resort and vacation standpoint in general. I mean, there's, there's an entire uh, waterside area. There's the Corniche here. There's the, um, the, I can't remember what it's called, the entertainment zone, which, has, which is right along the water and has restaurant after restaurant after restaurant. And all of them are working very hard to implement many of these types of, of uh, trends and sustainability mm-hmm. issues. Well, on, on that point, the, the next bit of the conversation of the keynote kind of had to do with the menu adoption curve, which I had not heard of before, but it basically is the same thing as in any industry where there's, like, it's like crossing the chasm, there's a book about that, about where anytime there's a new technology or a new thing, there's always the early innovators and there's a there's a chasm basically between like the early innovators that have to try it and it has to be proven before you'll get to the mass adoption and then it'll phase out. So he kind of he talks about the menu adoption curve and how that relates to what I thought it was a cool concept, but how the menu adoption curve basically is unique to each market and it dictates exactly what you're saying. It kind of dictates how far you can push these items and also whether or not your brand is targeting 
the people at the very tip, the early innovators, or they're targeting the main people. And just be aware of it in all contexts. So for example, if you are expected to be an innovator, then you need to be, you need to have more of this ceramic plate. You need to have, you need to be at the very top of the curve versus if you're targeting the general public in an area that isn't that far advanced, you, you're being more like you're being led by the innovators. Right? So it's kind of understanding, are you leading or are you being led and making sure you're not going to fall behind onto where it is. But I just, I thought that was, that kind of explained it very well and it explains exactly what you're talking about, how clearly the UAE and the area you're in, they're at the, the upper end of that curve where they're really, he's saying trends and the fact that you're seeing them everywhere means they're not trends there. They're like the main stay there versus here, you know, here in the U.S., I would say that it is, it is a trend because even looking at the, that the examples I used, you know, Docking Bay 7 has ceramic stuff and we see that at some of those parks, but not all the restaurants at Disneyland have ceramic, even not all the grab and go and SeaWorld doesn't, right? So, so you're, you see that dichotomy play out, but I thought that was such an interesting moment and a big takeaway for all of our listeners, no matter whether you are a theme park or an independent operation is to really sit down and consider where are you on this and are you falling behind or do you have the opportunity to be a trendsetter? Well, and I think the interesting thing here is so much, there are two things that you have to take into consideration that why, if you're looking at this as a continuum, why this area this in this particular way is ahead of the curve uh, back in the States, there's, there's two things to consider. Number one, the UAE is only 51 mm-hmm. years old. So it's a very young country. And so therefore, when they start, they, don't, they didn't have to unlearn much. They were able to say, oh, okay, well, here's, as we develop this, here's where, our, here's where the, the states are starting to trend in, or Europe is starting to trend in, or, or Asia is starting to trend in. And we can just start there. So we don't have to waste our time to unlearn the, the clamshell burger holders. We don't have to unlearn that. We can just automatically go to a cardboard cup with a mm-hmm. much... A smaller plastic lid or or a, a paper lid that goes on top of it. Um, so unlearning was 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 not something they had to deal with. And secondly, again, coming from a cultural difference, there are certain uh, there's a huge there is a huge um, vegetarian option here. And you know you mentioned earlier about mm-hmm. vegetables mm-hmm. trending and and vegetarian options being essential um, here because the UAE is such a multicultural. Um, base when it comes to population, there are people who, because of their cultural or religious backgrounds, are innately vegetarian. So there are vegan and vegetarian options yep. everywhere yep. here on Yaz Island. Everywhere. It is it is unique to find some place that doesn't. Plus, again, uh, pork is not is not available in most places. There are you know, buying pork is sort of like it used to be when you were buying drugs. You'd go into a back <laughs> corner and and a special little section of the coordinated off section of the of the butcher shop that does have pork. You can get it, um, but in order to be culturally sensitive to those people who find pork offensive, um, they have made it a separate entity. Uh, but you will rarely see pork on the menu in restaurants. You will rarely see, like, for example, where I'm living, I have a breakfast buffet every morning. The sausage and the bacon are both, uh, it's turkey bacon and chicken sausage. So uh, already there is a, a trend towards healthier food products um, because of the, the the cultural elements that 
combine here uh, in the UAE. And there's always there's always beans, there's always vegetables, there's always um, cheeses. Mm-hmm. So vegetarian and or vegan, um, and even some of the cheeses are vegan. Uh, are, are things that are, are commonplace because of the, the cultures that come together here. So when we say trends in food, um, although not every trend that is, is coming to be in the U.S. is already implemented here, but in these particular cases, because of, you know, sort of the cultural jumpstart, they're already yep. here. So I think yep. that's great. Well, the, the final section from the keynote really was about marketing food. And I'm going to combine this with the classes I went to because I went to all of the marketing classes since that's kind of what I was there to do because I do marketing for my clients. So that's what I went to. And I think I could basically break it down to three elements that were echoed not just in the classes but in the keynote. And that is element number one. Remember that as Scott does say that we are creatures that are most moved by stories and you tell a much better story with images than you do with text. So understanding that when you communicate your food and your brand, and you need to be able to communicate it with only images. And then you can text from there, but image-centric is where we are. Number two is that the first impressions also, as Scott has talked about, that the first moment and the last moment of your dining is the thing there they're going to remember, and the first impressions matter. And you need to put thought into crafting a first impression, not just of the experience as a whole, but of the food moment, like the reveal. So if it's a cocktail, it's when the cocktail is placed down with to the customer or when it's being crafted and given to them, or when it's a plating, you know, this whole idea of the first impression is very important and the impression they leave with it. And the third element is the focus that social media is not going anywhere. That understanding how your food translates into social media is critical for your success and understanding working with influencers, working with the vloggers and the food tasters and all those people, that's all part of this whole idea of it's no longer only about the reviews on Yelp. You know, it's expanded into people being able to share your food on social media and influencers being able to talk about it. So I think those Elements, I think, were also echoed in, in the previous trade summit we went to with that, you know, just some of those concepts about, about the images and whatnot. But but I, I think those are, th- for again, going to takeaways to listeners, those are things that I think there's a lot of improvement that can be made with, with everyone across the board, from your haunts to your independent attractions all the way up to your theme parks. Just even just thinking about how important the imagery is and how, you know, how important it is to to sell the experiences when it comes to the food. And especially it's hard, especially with parks, right? When you are like, I was just thinking about this because at this point, everyone does a food festival, right? And we just think about when you're serving it to the person, it's usually on those cardboard boats, right? And it's like, uh, you know, it, it that experience is so far removed from the trailer for the food festival, right? Where it's a gorgeous background and everything looks so cool. So I do think that there's, there's some of this disconnect with the parks and also, you know, potentially with the restaurants, whenever you're serving a dish where the, there's a, there's a, if somebody sets a dish in front of me that has a smudge on the, on the rim, I will clean it and then take a picture of it. I'm just saying. (laughs) 
That's because you're kind, Philip. <laughs> not everybody will do. And there are those people who will actually take a picture of the yes, smudge. Yes, and zoom in on the and smudge the, and be like, ah. Uh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and again, all of this goes back to the concept uh, many of the concepts that were part of fine dining. You know, if you are sitting in a fine dining restaurant, when they set the plate in front of you, they will then turn it a quarter so it faces yeah. you. That is a sense of presentation that creates not only a good look for the food, but also a first impression and a first impression even for each course. Um, when it comes to when it comes to first impressions, one of the things that I, I experienced here for the very first time is a smoked cocktail. Mm -hmm. I had never, um, I'd never been through this. And when it is served, um, when it was served to me, it was, and I know this goes on in the U.S. as well, so uh, this is nothing unique to this part of the world, um, but it was served under a glass, um, a glass mm -hmm. dome, and it, the dome was filled with, with smoke, which was pumped in with a gun, and then you lift it off, and the smoke billows out, and there's this lovely cocktail sitting in the middle. So that sense of arrival, we used to, we used to jokingly refer to it as avec show. So it's, it's with a presentation flourish. Um, that is that is super important, but it's something that's been around in fine dining mm -hmm. forever. It's just getting more and more important now because food, the, the, the taste of food is important, but equally as important, I would say, is, is the experience of dining. Yeah. And that is true, not just of fine dining, but also of, uh, you know, of the, 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 I won't call it grab and go, but, but I will to a certain extent. Um, one of the recent experiences here that, that I've noticed, and it's either frustrating, but I understand why it's kind of frustrating, but I understand why it happens is everywhere from the mall to the mall food court to the theme park. If you walk up to a counter, all of the menu boards have been replaced with video mm -hmm. monitors and they scroll through the menu with pictures of mm -hmm. the food, not a list, but pictures thereof. And then they reinforce that with a printed menu that you can look at if you choose to. So you can see, so you don't have to wait for everything to scroll around and watch it again. Um, so the visuals are, are clearly something that is, is coming in, that are coming into their own forefront here. You've got to make the food look good. Um, and then it has to carry through going back to the story mm -hmm. that you're telling. It has to carry through from that's what I ordered up on the, on the video monitor to here's what is delivered to me. And you don't want it you know, looking on, looking like it's on fine china with the the sauce swirl, and then it gets handed to you on a paper napkin. You don't. That's a that's a disconnect, and is going to disappoint your guests. Um, and uh, it, so, I, I think that's that's important to recognize, and it's one of those things that I think continues to be um, obviously from this keynote and from all of these classes continues to be something that is is incredibly important. And then finally, you know. Instagram food porn is a real thing. People take pictures of their food and post it on their social media. And even, even old guys like me who, who didn't grow up with social media, I did it just recently. I was in, I was in Vienna. I had uh, Wiener schnitzel for the first time uh, in Vienna. I've had it before, but for the first time in Vienna, I was sitting in cafe Mozart and I like you, Philip, I positioned my photo so you could see the sidewalk cafe ambiance in the background mm -hmm. and my Aperol spritz sitting there and, it, and, and the, and the Wiener schnitzel, I had more people say, Oh my gosh, that looks so good. And it was, but the fact that it looked so mm -hmm. good and then tasted so good is what really made it impactful. So I think all of these, I agree with all of these things hundred percent. And I've seen them just recently in my daily life. When I was in culinary school as a chef's apprentice, my chef would always tell me, you eat with your eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like mm -hmm. 
there's a baseline as in like it needs to taste good, but most people, most people's palates are not refined enough to really pick up that. So it's kind of like the baseline needs to be, is it good, but does it look incredible? That will make up <laughs> for the rest, you know? And that's always what we were trained on. That's why it was, we were trained to be, that was so important to plate things properly and to make sure that the servers are putting something down with a presentation flourish and that doesn't, uh, but I think you can carry that through again, takeaways to our listeners, carry that through to the way that we're presenting food at our, at our establishments. And I think the other big takeaway that I had now, here's where it jumps into me and my takeaways versus the, the summary of presentation. But my takeaway in this is that, Huge opportunity exists here for attractions to create novel dining experiences. And we've talked about this when we talked about all of the food and how, you know, Universal Horror Nights now has a whole, has all of these pop-up places and everyone makes a big deal about all the food. But, you know, it's it's because I think the opportunity is there to create something novel. And I, I think that it, it's that intersection i'm sure scott can speak about this but you know like where is the intersection between making something novel and operationally effective i think that is growing you know i think that it is possible for even a haunt to do a cocktail a smoked cocktail i think that's possible and i think that if you spun it in a halloween way then it would be not only would it sell but you could charge a premium for it but also then again it's about the marketing you know, people, again, people want to share novel experiences. So if, if they have, you know, I, the world's biggest scone kind of a thing, or the biggest chocolate cookie, a cookie the size of your head for a Christmas experience. I mean, these are the, th you know, these are the things that people want to talk about and they just want to show off. I think that's a big opportunity that we have going forward. And to that point, there were a few th products, I think the top products if I were to give a list from the expo floor, all have to do with this theme. And I thought there were four of them out of the entire show floor. First is cookie shots. There is a company selling cookie shots. So they are shot glasses that are cookies. And you can customize them to be any decoration, whatever. You can fill them with hot or cold beverages and you can ice it, whatever. But essentially, you know, you're just ordering these blank cookies and you can decorate them or customize them how you want but that that's portable it's stores easy it's an easy thing you can do almost anywhere any attraction uh, the next thing is spiked whipped cream so basically whipped cream that has vodka in it or some sort of alcohol in it so again you could add that to the cookie or you could add it to almost anything that you could have whipped cream on and suddenly it's an alcohol here's a piece of pie now it has alcohol you know here's a a regular cocktail now it has alcohol it's a really easy way to add that spiked whipped cream uh, number three was a here's hot yes. cocoa. Now it has exactly, alcohol. and and it looks great. Again, that's the thing. Now it has alcohol, but you can see this spiked whipped cream on it, and you can put some flavor sprinkles on it, and it looks great. And the third th item is a flavor blaster, which is actually a derivative of the spiked, the smoked cocktail. Scott, it's like a flavor blaster, is in you can put bubbles of fog on top of a cocktail that don't pop until the customer pokes them. So in this instance, you're giving the agency to the customer. So they just put the bubble, you, the bartender puts the bubble on there with a little mini bubble machine. And then it had, they can have scents as well. So it can explode in, in a scented uh, mist basically. I love that. That's great. And the, the last thing is robots. 
I saw a lot of robots and ro delivery robots and robots that shake your martinis and that make your smoothies. I mean, that kind of thing. Right now it's novelty, but I think it's also an efficiency thing. You know, I, I ate at a restaurant in little Tokyo here in Los Angeles and our food was, our, my curry was delivered by a robot and I was taking pictures of the robot and like not the curry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, I was just not too long ago at Global Village um, mm -hmm. in in Dubai, and they uh, they had a robot ice cream yep. machine. So, in essence, and yes, it was one hundred percent novelty, but it had a line. It was a vending machine with a line because the robot instead of just plopping out a prepackaged ice cream cone. The robot actually assembled the ice cream in front of you, and it was soft serve, so it was real easy. But it was a robot that assembled it and served it to you, which obviously it was the experience of of the the the, the delivery method that that made it. So, and the ice cream was good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was frozen custard, so it was good. But but it was the delivery method that created the line, um, which I thought was which I thought was absolutely wonderfully brilliant. Um, it's it's funny the, the the cookie shots. I think that's a, a it's well it's the next generation of the taco salad yep. bowl. You know it's now the dessert the dessert version of the taco salad bowl. Um, I think when, but the one that the one that hit me the most and again just recently experienced something very similar to it is when you said gives agency to um, the the dining yep. Yep. person um, with the with the the flavor blasters. Um, I recently went to a uh, what I'm believing to be is a pop-up dining experience called seven mm -hmm. paintings, um, in Dubai. And it was, um, the, the concept was brilliant. The execution was good, but it was, uh, it, the things that, that really stuck out in my mind were not necessarily the, the conceptual things that involved the media. Cause it was all about projections. They were projecting on your, your dining surface. So each for each course, each course was based on a different famous painting. And you'd learn a little bit at, from the screen at the end, which was a talking Mona Lisa painting. Um, and then from a little tiny artist who appeared on your table via projection. And then they would project on your placemat, mm -hmm. on your food, uh, on the uh, creating a table runner. Um, so the entire look of the table changed from course to course mm -hmm. to course, which was really cool. Um, but the things that stuck with me the most were the interactive food mm -hmm. moments. Um, for example... <clears throat> our salad was uh, celebrating the work of, of uh, Pollock, so uh, very abstract. And we were given a clean, white, um, sort of silicone placemat and three different colored dressings and paintbrushes. Mm -hmm. And we were told to do the Sidney Pollock painting on the white placemat and then they delivered um, basically a bouquet of greens that we would then pick up, dip into our painting, and eat mm -hmm. them. So it was very, very interactive. The dessert, though, was um, Salvador Dali-inspired, which I totally was impressed with. Um, but you were delivered uh, a, a box, and inside the box was a... Uh, potato, this is going to sound bizarre, but was a potato which had sort of a caramelized brulee on top. It was sliced and then had a caramelized brulee on top. And you were told 
to take the um, the tears. It was it was uh, all about the beach and take the, the tears of the woman on the beach, and which was actually a mister of olive oil, and spray that across, and then mix in the foam from the sea, and the foam was actually a whipped cream or a custard that you mixed into the potato with the brulee and the olive oil, and then sprinkle it with the sand from the beach, which was uh, crystallized sugar. So you created your own sort of custard potato dessert thing, but it was all very interactive, and it was it was sort of like the escape room version of mm -hmm. dining. So the idea of putting everything together and making it so that the, the diner does that last assembly and has that last bit of, of uh, control, it makes it less, it's not just you eat with your eyes, it's you eat with your whole experience. And I thought that was really cool. So anything you can do to, to do that is, I think, really beneficial. Um, what is also beneficial is if I look at my timer and I realize that we have already gone over our 30 minutes. Um, sorry, I kind of commandeered that, but it was really fun experience. If you have the opportunity to do seven paintings, check yep. it out because it'll be fun. So on behalf of Philip and myself, Scott Swenson, this has been Green Tag Theme Park in 30. Please make sure that you uh, find us. We are now living on our own independent mm -hmm. feed uh, on, on pretty much every network out there, um, especially YouTube. Um, and if you want to try to find us, just go to greentaggedshow.com and there are links that will take you to everywhere we now appear. Uh, once again, thanks for listening another week and we will see you next week. Today's episode was edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope and original music composed by Chris Thomas. Support for today's episode comes from Gantam Lightning and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. From Dark Hour to Netherworld, Super Mario Land to Hagrid's Bike, Gantam goes where other fixtures can't. See what you're missing with a free demo? Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com demo. The HAN team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.